0: Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm delighted to be joined by an old friend and colleague, Paul Ansorge. Hi Joe. Hi Paul. It's very exciting to be here. That's, I'm excited to have you here also. Yeah,
1: we're gonna have a very serious Super growing serious. up football conversation. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: No tomfoolery. <laughs> no, no, hey, hey. Sorry. None whatsoever. Uh, Paul is uh, an occasional TIFO script writer and also from the United rankcast, the also super serious podcast. No. Ma- yes, very, very serious. Okay. About Manchester United. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that every week.
1: We do. I mean, there are times when we try and have serious
0: conversations about Manchester United, but we have
1: more or less run out of those. Yeah. Because it's been essentially the same for several years now.
0: Well, let's that's what we're going to talk about today anyway. Yeah. Uh, but before we start, yeah, we're normally doing an introduction, don't we? We're supported by The Athletic, uh, the best place to read about football online. You can visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, get a 30-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription. You're a subscriber, aren't you, Paul?
1: I literally did exactly what you've just said. Yeah. I went to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Yeah, 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 yeah. li- I'm, not, I'm not
0: saying this just for no, this. No, it's I, true. That's
1: a thing I actually did.
0: Mm. And you enjoying yourself? Yeah, I've read upwards of three articles since. <laughs> That's actually quite good. Yeah. Right, we'll talk about more later. Uh, so the topic for the day is Manchester United. Uh, you're a dedicated supporter and uh, uh, I guess commenter would you call yourself yeah just um uh, me Manchester my... United social commentary
1: so, <laughs> so um my friend Ed had uh, this blog in the old days when an, you would call a thing a blog called United Rant and in 2009 I said we should start a podcast and what I meant by that was he should start a podcast and I'll be his first guest and then in the end we just did it together (laughs) the most frequent (laughs) podcast guest of all time yeah exactly um and then through that i ended up becoming bleacher reports manchester united correspondent for four years um well i guess i was a columnist for them and then became for a couple of years i was their correspondent so i would go to games for bleacher report covering united Mm. um and i did that up until uh december the end of december 2017 Mm -hmm. when i semi-retired from football writing with the exception of, you know, writing stuff for TIFO from time to time. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the other United thing I've done a lot of is appear on the Full-Time Devils, the right. YouTube channel that I'm sure United fans watching this will be familiar with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when you were the correspondent uh, at Manchester United because you used to text me saying things like, I've just seen Van Hal in the press conference.
1: <laughs> it was really <laughs> he's, exciting. He's such a strange man. He, um, so the... My favourite moment, but also the worst moment yeah. of my time at United, doing covering stuff in press conferences, was um, I. This was, I think. I think it was a game where we'd beaten Villa 1 0. And during the press conference, he had said something along the lines of Villa's defence is well organised. And this was the season they got relegated. Villa's defence was not well organised. You know, it just had no cut and thrust in attack. And this is the only time I think I ever let the fan in me overtake the. Journalist isn't the right word, but like columnist or whatever, the, the professional, the, the professional. person who's there to work. Um, and he said something like, you know, we're having difficulty breaking teams down. And I said, why? <laughs> Almost in that exact tone of voice. And he said, why do you think it is? <laughs> and, and you can just hear me giggle nervously, like really proper, like high pitch giggle in response. But what was happening in my head was because, um, in my brain, it just went, it's because of you, you crazy man. (laughs) Um, It's because you don't let the midfielders break beyond the ball. But anyway, um, (laughs) that was, yeah.
0: Would you have thought, though, during that time? I mean, because I I remember watching United at the time and obviously, you know, the world was still uh, coming to terms with the shock of Alex Ferguson's exit, let's say, or at least Manchester United was, you know, it's an exaggeration. But I think it's fair to say, and we were all expecting there to be to take a while for the club to really resemble what it look, had looked like under Ferguson for so many years. Uh, that period underneath under Van Hal, there was a lot of excitement about him because he came off the back of uh, managing the Netherlands at the World Cup. And that, I remember that amazing game with Tim Kroll coming in for, to do the penalties at the end. There was a lot of hype and he was very exciting and all the rest of it. Um, it was so stagnant after a year or so. And it felt like at the time you're watching this team and thinking, God, I mean, the the quality of the players that they have, pretty much anyone could come in here and do a better job than is being done. Do you think back to that now and uh, think yeah you know, God how how wrong was someone like me thinking that at the time
1: it's a really interesting question because I actually think that that you could almost say that the quality of players in van by van Hal's second season there'd been that's when the acquisition started to go really badly wrong, yeah sporting players I mean you think about the Schmidfield right people got yeah. very excited, bought Schneidlin and Schweinsteiger in the sound the same day, I think or certainly yeah. within a couple of days of each other at the end of the transfer window, and so that's in between his first and second season, not the kind of Dimmeria Falcao, that kind of glorious that felt like a glorious revolution Um, but then that had all gone horribly wrong in the second season I think they just made some pretty terrible recruitment decisions Mm -hmm. brought in a lot of play. I mean you look at the hit rate of the signings made in the Van Hal era and yeah. it was really... Remind me of some odd. of those, some of those players. So yeah. I I tried to work this out the other day, see if I could remember it, but basically um, there were, I think there was six in the first transfer window. So that was Di Maria, obviously massive flop, Falcao massive flop. Um, and Di Maria, I think was partly at least Van Hal's fault
0: that that, went the way it did maybe we can come back to that because I, I i still don't really understand what happened there okay um no i mean me neither yeah. so so yeah work it
1: out but um uh i don't correct me if i'm wrong about the order of these because i don't actually remember but yeah. sergio romero i think came in in the january Matteo damian came in the second season. He's just
0: been pretty much a ghost since he... Uh, I mean, not, yeah, he I, had not a, to say that I'd watched him at Torino much before, but... He had a
1: brilliant first month at United. Brilliant. He was definitely player of the month in his first month. And right. he's basically not played well since. Yeah, And that was a long time ago now. Yeah. But he... um the, the daily Blint was obviously in that first season and uh, that was a deal that was done right at the last minute, which always made me think that was not a player that he desperately wanted because mm. it was like the player that he had in his back pocket ready to bring in if he needed to. Herrera came in that first window, Luke Shaw did. They were both signings that were identified by David Moyes that Van Hal approved. Um, that's not like some insider journalistic knowledge. That's what Van Hal said at his first press conference. Yeah. Um, and then, then you've got Schweinsteiger, Schneidlin, Martial, which is was probably the one truly brilliant signing
0: of the Van Hal era. Um, Do you think you can say that still?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, because he's I've been he's, question marks over him for for a very long time. Uh, I mean, on and off, you know, he seems to be a fairly inconsistent player. I, I think he's been used. I think Mourinho, one of
1: Mourinho's worst crimes, ironically, because yeah. it's a it's should be a small thing, but taking the number nine shirt off Marcy and giving the eleven shirt and making him play left wing. Yeah. When you know one of the things that's happening, I don't know when this is going to come out, but one of the things that's happening at the
0: moment. This is this. So we're recording this on uh, Saturday, the twelfth. It's likely to be released on uh, the following Tuesday, so a few days.
1: Okay, great. So United probably won't have played again at the moment. We're in the the midst of this massive strikers crisis and like. Um, um, a lot of people I heard on, on a different podcast somebody said like oh well there was this sort of assumption that Rashford could come in and lead the line but Solskjaer doesn't seem didn't choose Rashford to lead the line he chose Martial to lead the line and Martial was scoring regularly before he got injured so
0: he, I know that because he was in my fantasy football team <laughs> right yeah he's still too. registered as a midfielder exactly yeah which and is, he scored a lot of goals well, he, thanks I know Jose it a little bit. He, he earned a lot of fantasy football points in the early days of the Sc- season
1: scored goals scored against yeah. Chelsea scored um, in the game after that I can't even remember because it all blends into one miserable turgid blob
0: is he still out injured
1: yeah okay. uh, as, uh, he, he didn't play in whoever we lost to Newcastle Newcastle yeah it's all gone it was immediately blanked blanked immediately afterwards
0: Um, (laughs) everything's fine
1: but yeah the Van Hal era I I felt like you know the Simpsons bit where the the, uh, hog roast flies through the air in Lisa the Vegetarian it's just a little dirty it's still good it's just a little airborne it's Mm. still good it felt like that in the Van Hal era because you're kind of constantly waiting for the click and then at the end of the first season for a month and a half it suddenly clicked and they were magical they played absolutely brilliant football Mm. as well as they'd played for a really long time um that was uh, with Carrick in the pivot and Fellaini ahead of him on the left on the left and Herrera ahead of him on the right and Matter on the right wing and whoever it was on the left wing mm. um and that that just was all triangles and prettiness and it worked beautifully and we beat Spurs and Liverpool and City in quick succession and Villa in between that um and that but that's you know it was a a tiny blip, Michael Carrick then got injured and we went to Chelsea and lost to Mourinho's Chelsea. Um, and, uh, everything went wrong from there. Essentially.
0: Mm. The fragile yeah. mirror shatters.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, when, so when Van Gaal got sacked in the, in the Christmas before he got sacked, you know, people keep saying recently, this is the worst United have played since Ferguson. Um, I heard that about the West Ham game, uh, the other week again the Solskjaer run West Ham game, but also the season before when we lost 3 1 with Scott McTominay and Emanuel Matic in defence. Yeah. Um uh but I think we played as badly as we've played post Ferguson in the, the the second Christmas of Van Hal's era where we lost to Norwich. Yeah. Um and I, I think they went down that season and they just battered United and United looked completely devoid of ideas and Mm. hope and anything. And then there was a little bit of impetus when Rashford came into the squad after that and there was, you know, the the season didn't end quite so flat. But that little middle period, I I remember being in a press conference and Van Hal talking about his philosophy, obviously, and he said, my philosophy is the thing that's made me a good coach. Or then he said, or should I say I used to be a good coach? Because he was, like, in the middle of a personal existential crisis, yeah. you know. Yeah,
0: United seems to be the, the sort of stage for some of those um, some of those crises, doesn't it? I, I mean, I suppose that, you know, the real question, is, which is totally unanswerable, by the way, is how do you even begin to understand what's happened at that club? I mean... You've got sensible answers like the Martial one is a is, a, is a, a good answer for the current state of affairs for example as you say uh, Solskjaer chose him over Rashford to lead that line or to play in the number nine role. He had the distinctive moment where he got his number nine shirt back and then got his AM9 brand back on the road. Uh, I'm sure that number plate's coming in handy now that he had to have in the garage for a couple of years. Um, and he's been injured, so the goals have dried up. Obviously, there is a problem there. There is not enough, uh, what do they call it, scoring power uh, to maintain... <laughs> sure. Thanks very much. I don't know if they do call it that, but we can if <laughs> we you can, want. No, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to maintain uh, an ability to earn results. Um, the, the other thing is, it's interesting to me how quickly the tide turns from people being excited about young players to people saying, well, yeah, yeah, young players are great, but if you don't have five legends in a team, then young players are useless, you know, which I also, also don't, don't think is true. I mean, those clear distinctions between the current squad, the current team and the, you know, class of, what, what do they call themselves? The class of 95, 92, 92. Sorry. Yeah, that's
1: bad, bad United law <laughs> there. Joe.
0: Uh, I always used to call them the class of 99. Cause I thought that's when they just, but it doesn't work like that. Does it? Um, There are clear distinctions. You don't have the same number of uh, leaders, uh, unbelievable players in in the team and those sort of senior members of the squad you might look to um, to be reassured with are players like Paul Pogba who, you know, seems to be fairly inconsistent, albeit someone who, according to everyone who knows him, tries very, very hard. Um, David De Gea, whose speech the other day after the game just, you know, from a man who has mostly been quite quiet for the however many years he's been at the club. He's flipped. He's flipped, but I can't take yeah. it anymore. I mean, and, and you sort of understand it, right? I mean, like, that's... However bad we think a run of results might be, objectively, if a player of uh, David De Gea's calibre and character comes out and says something like that, that's a real problem I mean do you, I can't remember to quote him but I mean he said it, we're fucked basically didn't he like it's all fucked <laughs> is what he said
1: he, he said uh, you can't go two games in a row not scoring a goal we look he basically said we're devoid of ideas going yeah. forward there's you know there's only so much I can do he didn't say that but, but, but was...
0: there the, the, is a key point to be taken there when a goalkeeper is saying that there is a distinction to be made which is mm. that it is not my problem it's, there's a problem up up top
1: And, you know, he wasn't saying when we didn't qualify for the Champions League last season because he was chucking one in his own net every game. He didn't say like, oh, there's forwards are scoring loads of goals, but it doesn't really work because I keep throwing the ball in my net. So, you know, there's there's, everyone, everyone has bad periods, every bit of the squad. And actually... um, United's. Uh, I know there's a very divided opinion uh, from the people that watch your fine podcast about the use of advanced data analytics and statistics in football, but um, United's expected goal to expected goals against this season is the lowest in the league they are conceding the fewest chances of any team in the premier league the problem is their non-penalty xg is something like 12th or 13th in the league so they're hardly creating any chances is it also
0: worth saying that they've had a a reasonably easy looking run of fixtures and because there's only been whatever 10 games that uh, how how many games yeah I i don't
1: think if you compare their fixtures to um, there's, I don't, I wouldn't say, I don't know off the top of my head, but I wouldn't say there's that many teams who you would say. <gasps> well, they, they haven't fight. played,
0: they haven't played Liverpool yet. No, they haven't played City yet. Sure, they played Arsenal uh, earlier on in the season. They played Chelsea at uh, like won the second game but, where but, Chelsea were completely toothless. But first they haven't game. played Norwich yet, another team who are attacking <laughs> quite a lot. Let's let's just have that in there.
1: But United's problem. It, it, you know, that's that would be a really relevant factor if what we were talking about is why aren't United top of the league? Yeah. But what we're talking about is why United 12th or wherever they are. Yeah. So it
0: doesn't really
1: like... I, no, no it I'm, doesn't just, I'm, draw,
0: I'm drawing listeners to... to, to uh, I just want to guard them from your false false uh, agenda, your agenda. When you say <laughs> that stat, it makes it sound like United have an incredible defence and they're giving away very few chances. wan and Harry Maguire, I think, are fantastic players. Yeah. And I, I think when I did watch United... I haven't admittedly watched them for a few games, to be honest, but when I watched them earlier on in the season, I thought those two players stood out at the time as fantastic signings and certainly the way to, you know... Build a team around players like that. I think. However, uh, I'm just making the point that they've had, I would say, comparatively an easier start to do the season. But I, th- I think against th- teams who aren't as free flowing and attacking, and if you, all you have to do is play one game against Liverpool for your XGA to be completely decimated. Well,
1: City because sure. Liverpool's XG is fine oh sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> um or <but> norwich yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but the, the 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 thing so to be absolutely clear mm-hmm. any accusations of bias i think united are rubbish okay. at the moment like <laughs> absolute bobbins but i'm also like interested in getting to the root of that and when you watch yeah. them the problem isn't because it doesn't matter what your yeah. run of fixture is run fixtures are over 10 games I would say it's still pretty statistically significant to be conceding very few chances whoever you're playing Sure. so um now part of the reason that united are conceding very few chances is because they only have to concede very few chances because yeah. they don't create any yeah. so it doesn't you know we we lose 1-0 or we draw 0-0 or whatever mm-hmm. so um but I do think that is a kind of a Im- irrele- relevant Um, quirk of what's happening at the moment is that the defence is way better organised, way more shored up just with the addition of a couple of players. A couple of
0: incredible players seemingly. Absolutely,
1: yeah. yeah. And and the thing about that is one of the constant attacks against United, rightly so, is how poor their recruitment has been. Mm -hmm. Well, this summer, the problem with their recruitment wasn't that they bought a bunch of useless Muppets, which has been kind of part of the problem. Um, It was that... They didn't buy enough players, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a big problem because the fact that they didn't buy a midfielder in that transfer window, you could look at this and go, well, the only way this is going to go well Mm. is if
0: everything falls Absolutely, spectacularly, beautifully into place. Can, can I counter that though and say, are there any midfielders left that Man United haven't bought yet? Because I mean, yeah, loads. They've bought and, loads of midfielders, but not right? really. They they've, have. Who've they bought? They've bought Fred. They bought Herrera. They bought Fellaini. They bought Pogba. They bought uh, Schneiderlin. They bought Schweinsteiger. Mm-hmm. They bought. I mean, th- the list does go on. But I know it does. So that's in that's since twenty thirteen. Yeah.
1: So that's in a, an extended period of time, and there are lots of midfielders who've moved. There's lots of midfielders who moved this summer or a couple I'm, of summers I'm to, I'm ago. I'm trying to think of more. Like it That's you've just. That's a long enough list. No, no, no I, have, want, I want more. I think they've acquired very poorly in midfield. I would say out of all of those, no. um, you miss Fellaini. Um, I said Fellaini. How did you? Okay, no. right. How dare you? Uh, sorry, on my,
0: my podcast. <laughs> I just didn't want us to miss no, such a stellar signing. Well, I, I, I well, I don't want to take us on a tangent, but I think Fellaini is one of the strongest of that group. But do go on. Oh, Joe. When he was used, when he was used in interesting ways, if you that yeah, man changed games.
1: If you if you want a battering ram, then he was for a time I would say probably the best battering ram in the lady the
0: false 10. That's all I'll say. Yeah. He was a fantastic false 10. Except... If that even means anything.
1: Except when he had to pass the ball. Yeah.
0: That's but true.
1: anyway, um, I would say that Ander Herrera was a good signing, mostly mishandled. Um, and uh, Pogba... People have very divided opinions about Pogba. I think Pogba was a no-brainer of a signing. Mm. And the fact that it's not working out is quite a complicated... Did you mention Emmanuel Matic? I didn't oh, There my... you go, that's, hey, there's that's that's a forgotten a little... one. Can, but... Before you
0: move on from Pogba, can I, I know I already said this once, but one thing that does irritate me about people's reception of Paul Pogba is the idea that he doesn't work very hard. Because it, by all accounts, that just couldn't be further from the truth. And I'm not saying he's been brilliant, and as you said, there are reasons we can talk about them, why it hasn't worked out. But I feel like I want to defend that player from accusations of laziness because they feel pretty lazy the accusation they're
1: remarkably lazy and i would argue that they're also um uh, racist yeah there's there's there are old ideas and stereotypes that people don't even know are the reason that they're holding beliefs and opinions and things are getting recycled but we're talking about unconscious bias. Yeah, we, we've wandered far. That's a. That's a. I mean, it couldn't. Surely, like, it can't be a surprise that anyone that's ever heard the two of us talk before that we've got here quite sure. quickly. But anyway, but,
0: but also just to just to qualify that point as well, uh, I don't think that is true of everyone who who criticizes Paul Pogba. No, and, and not that you're saying that it is. No, I just want to qualify because I know the kind of comments that we're going to get for this. Yeah, however. As I said before, by all accounts, he's an incredibly hardworking player. There are other there are other reasons that uh, to to you know have a slightly different agenda other yeah. than racism, but surely it has been one of them.
1: And there are games when he's really let the side down. I think there are games, but like I'm, I, I own this. You know, earlier I said like my point about you know, it's goals conceded, expected goals conceded, is not. Um, about bias my Paul Pogba discussion is somewhat about bias I am quite defensive about Paul Pogba and I I I I acknowledge that I've got a kind of intrinsic pro-Pogba bias which Affects the way I think about him as but, a player. But then
0: your comments in terms of his uh, work ethic and uh, and his commitment are echoed by uh, every journalist that's ever met him. Who, yeah, exactly. all of whom aren't United fans. Exactly. So that that's. But I, I'm talking now about
1: like performance and oh, okay, okay. The the number of excuses that I'm prepared to make for Pogba, mm-hmm. which. I actually think I'm mostly right. Line them like, up. Line them up and I'll i am not gonna You know, I, I just think it's very difficult to be a brilliant midfielder in a completely destroyed midfield because that list of midfielders you just read out, I mean, the... The idea that because United had bought all of those midfielders in the past, they shouldn't buy another one last summer is like, <laughs> it's like saying, well, I've bought loads of wheels for my car and I've only got one left, but I've bought loads. So I'm just going to keep driving around with one wheel. Mm.
0: Um, and It is the sort of stubborn thing I would do, Paul.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and but there's... There's an enormous problem with United's midfield. It's the single biggest problem in the side, which ironically we mentioned before we started recording, we talked briefly about nostalgia. It's actually quite nostalgic for midfield to be United's biggest problem because in the late Fergie periods, everyone's going, why aren't you buying any midfielders? Sure. You haven't
0: replaced Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. We still haven't. This is an advert,
0: yeah beer52.com forward slash tifo for your chance uh, not chance for your opportunity i should say to earn eight free beers and when i say earn i mean all you have to do is go to www.beer52.com that is beer and then the numbers 52.com and uh, you get a free case of eight craft beers plus two three additional beers if you uh, do it within the next two weeks, Um, beer52.com forward slash TIFO. The beers are very nice. The one thing I like about these beers mostly is uh, the the, the different kind of range you get, and they are delightfully designed. I mean, I know I say this every time, but just have a look. If you're watching, you'll be able to see this one. I'm holding up a a bottle of beer called uh, Paradise, the Blackberry Milkshake IPA. It's a milkshake. It's very fruity. I like it a lot. Uh, I have a little taste again. Uh, To be honest with you, I was sipping it before the advert began. It's a Saturday, but you get a whole nice range of them. There's sort of, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of different brands and flavors and all sorts of different types of beer in the box. And I like to think that if you are watching the football of a weekend, perhaps with some friends, you're at home, and uh, you want to try something new, this is a good opportunity to do that. All you have to do is cover the 4.95 postage and packaging, and you get your box of eight free beers arriving the next day, plus two additional free beers. That's ten free beers. Um, yeah, go to www.beer52.com forward slash TIFO, and uh, you can redeem them. I'm also going to tell you that... Uh, Themes have ranged from Germany to Korea, Norway to South Africa, and California to Finland, but Beer52 haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer52 is they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in. You can leave any time. So you can get your 8-10 free beers and then never give them any more money if that's what you want, although I can't imagine that you would, because uh, receiving the box... Uh, it's quite fun it's very delightful I've enjoyed it a lot um, so yes if uh, I'm just checking out anything else out that you might need to know I don't think I have um, yeah also oh, also, this is interesting you, if you don't like dark beers you can tailor the box to your preference and you can also rate and review the beers you've collected on um, on the website as well Um and you get a tasty snack, which uh, long-time listeners to the podcast might remember. Alex eating a couple of times, and uh, that man doesn't like anything, so that's always quite fun to watch out for. But yeah, there you go. It's uh beer fifty-two, as in five two dot uh, com forward slash TFO. Thank you very much, and uh, we're back now to the episode with Paul Ansorge. Okay, right. Okay, let's. Uh, I feel like we could go on forever. Yeah, w- which I'm not opposed to, by the <laughs> way. But I do have to edit this, so. uh, Let's, let's bring it to, I suppose, the, the central question that people are discussing at the moment, which is whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be the manager or not. And yeah. I don't want to be too easy with it because the easy talking points are very easy and they're yeah. right there. And they are uh, nostalgia that you just mentioned uh, is potentially impacting people's uh, view as to whether or not he should have become the manager in the first place and whether or not he should remain the manager now. Yeah. Um, but I suppose there are other reasons as well. One of them being, who the hell do you replace him with? Uh, if you're not going to force him to leave, then he hasn't had very long. And as you said, there are reasons to be cheerful as a supporter around the idea of him, they're waning. Ish, they're waning. Yeah. Um, but I think you pointed to one of them already, the kind of the lack of activity over the summer, which has made the, that team's job very difficult um, at the moment. So there are a hundred things to talk about there. Let's start with the nostalgia point. Uh, my cynical view, if, if you will allow me, is that the board actually made quite a smart decision at a very difficult time uh, which was to take the nostalgia thing to essentially use it over supporters because they knew that they and you know the the kind of well i suppose they're not really protests i suppose but the the kind of anti glazer anti woodward sentiment mellowed in the middle period there and has kind of uh, you know been forced back up again over over recent particularly recent months right so I think the idea of hiring someone that uh, all of your supporters love and treasure uh, is quite a good way of protecting yourself.
1: Is it though? Because then if it goes wrong, who do they turn their ire on? Because when, when it was going wrong under Mourinho, there was plenty of United fans very happy to turn their ire on former
0: Chelsea manager and all-round scumbag Jose Mourinho. But remember that they didn't hire him on a permanent contract immediately. What I mean is they made this decision at the point where they decided to bring him in right. as, a, a, as a temporary uh, manager... And then um, he forced the hand.
1: By winning every game. By yes. like
0: totally outperforming the team's ability and winning every game <laughs> and, um, you know, having such a feel good factor mm. that they were left essentially with no option. I mean, I still think they should have waited till the end of the year. It, I think he, and I think he, uh, the, I assume, I don't know this, but I imagine he would have been fine with waiting till the end of the year. I imagine the fans probably would have been fine with waiting till the end of the year. There was no reason to do it at the time they did. And that was a, Big error, I think, but yeah, they kind—you know—I I think it, that was the idea that Solskjaer would come in and that the team would seemingly transform itself into what it became for the for the third quarter of last season before it all fell apart again. Was. P- N- not unfathomable, but pretty unlikely. Uh, like given how destitute things were at the very end of Jose Mourinho's reign. Yeah,
1: imagine you're a Man United podcaster who spent nine months going. <laughs> I know that there are structural problems in the club, and la 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 la. But Jose Mourinho is by far the biggest problem, and then they sack him, and then Solskjaer comes in, and we win every game. It was mm-hmm. very convenient mm-hmm. um, for those of us who essentially held that position. Yeah, you're right. There's two different decisions. The um, that first one, I remember the day that that was breaking that Solskjaer might get the job. It sounded like the kind of "this is so crazy, it might just work" option in a cop movie. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, and if we jump out of the window and do three backflips and then land on the floor below and then come up through the ceiling to get him, it might just work. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was that vibe to it because it felt like such a wild card move, and you see. Um, harnessing nostalgia is not in and of itself a negative because one thing that was very evidently lost from the culture of the club was the culture of the club.
0: But it feels a bit like uh, doing it in a faux way or it it's almost like uh, playing very emotional music in a film because the film hasn't been made well enough to make you feel emotional so they add a good song over it.
1: But it's but it's different because it's, it's a... I'm talking about it's a... a it's capacity to get results. So if your aim as a filmmaker is to make your audience cry, adding emotional film, uh, emotional music to the film isn't going to enhance it as a work of art, but it's going to make it more likely that your audience cry. If you positively enhance, um, if you positively uh, use nostalgia, not as an empty gesture But as, um, what's the word, institutional knowledge, kind of those uh, people with genuine lineage and links to the club to start to rebuild the feeling in the ground, the feeling among the squad, to give this sense of, you know, unitedness about United. I mean, Manchester Unitedness about Manchester United. Um, That isn't nothing That isn't just the empty, cynical gesture. That's also the real thing that really happened. Now, the problem would appear to be there isn't anything beyond that. So I was extremely enthusiastic for Solskjaer to get the job pretty much two weeks in. I was like, yep, great, give him the job because... I remember during the Moyes era, watching the kind of football that Mulder were playing, the way Solskjaer talked about the team, the kind of gravitas that he carried with him. This was before he got the Cardiff job. And I I remember thinking, he's definitely got some little intangible something. Now, what's abundantly clear is either that's diminished over time or it wasn't anything that deep at the time. You know, the whole thing about Solskjaer being a player who would watch games from the bench and really intently pay attention to them. And that's why he scored so many goals off the bench was because he would identify specific weaknesses and vulnerabilities. That's quite a good thing to have in a, in a future manager. But what's actually happened is United have played really well about three times under Solskjaer for a lot of that winning run. They weren't playing very well. Um, And then since that winning run, they've, almost never played really well. That 4-0 against Chelsea, I was there at that game. United did not play that well. Chelsea could easily have been 2-0 up at half-time. Chelsea could have won 4-0. Yeah, right. And Well, if they'd been 2-0 up at half-time, they might well have done. But United had this, ironically, had great cutting edge, particularly in the second half of that game. So um, what Solskjaer would seem to be lacking is the capacity to keep the train rolling in terms of the feel-good factor. Because I think... Um, Positive psychology, like a collective belief, a collective um, kind of positive forward looking mentality is what United have most lacked in the post Sir Alex era. Mm. There's been too much gloom and weight and the shirt weighs too much when they wear it. You know, that kind of thing that that's been the kind of the big through line problem throughout the whole time. And Solskjaer seemed to have kind of kicked that into touch. And actually, that's where I think it was some kind of, it was, turned out to be pretty inspired. Maybe that's just luck, but a pretty inspired choice. As you completely rightly say, though, the decision to give him the full-time job when they did was kind of baffling. Mm. And it's interesting because it happened after they lost to Arsenal. And there was an international break after that. And that's when he was given the job. And there was a lot of kind of like, Huh? oh, okay, great, you know, about it. Because it kind of made sense in a way. That The one thing that I wonder is whether that was the point at which somehow Pochettino wasn't, ev- you know, that he'd said or his people had said or something had happened. I, mean, I have no idea. That's Normally pure. we find
0: these things out five years later, don't we?
1: Exactly. Pure speculation. But also I kind of think the... Glazer ownership is a massive problem. But people... Um, oversimplify why. When the Glazers took over the club and massively piled on leveraged debt onto the club, their ownership was genuinely a threat to the very existence of the club at that point, because the level of debt and the cost of servicing the debt at that time in the mid-2000s was absolutely astronomical. Now, what's happened since then is essentially not Woodward's commercial genius, although there's some money made from some smart decisions. Although, as that Tifo video was talking about the other day, that hasn't, um, that's dried up. Like it's not completely dried up as in money's not coming in, but it's not it's growing. Hard, it's, yeah. yeah. And the real growth, in finances has come from the TV deals, nothing to do with Woodward or the Glazers. Everything to just, do with Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, just a complete fluke, essentially. Well, not even just Murdoch because it's international too. But um, but a
0: complete fluke, and um, so you you the, could argue that it is something that they uh, could have foreseen by the, when they bought. I mean, when did they buy the club in two thousand and five? Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and five. Really?
1: Two thousand and five. Two well, thousand and five. And and. No one in 2005 was predicting the numbers to look like they look now. No. Not even close. There was
0: expected growth, but not, not to this stage. Exactly.
1: Right? And in fact, the growth that they thought they would get, they put the price of season tickets up a long way, which they don't do anymore because they don't need to. Um, but they still haven't gone back down to the level they were no. and before. they, they and... also
0: frame it like they're doing some fantastic favour to everyone, right?
1: Exactly. So at some point, the, um, the weight shifted from the problem of the Glazer ownership being about what it did to United's finances, but not necessarily what it did to the football structures of the club because of Alex Ferguson. So Alex Ferguson was the football structure at Manchester United. Everything that he said went, it was, he, he effectively, it was a totalitarian state. Like he's in charge of everything. He's not hands on in charge of everything, but everything is eventually flowing back to Ferguson. Mm -hmm. When you take him out now, you take him out at the point at which essentially the finances are no longer the problem. Because we've seen since Ferguson left, the spending's gone through the roof. Although if you look at the last couple of seasons, you can see that the um, overall levels of spending they're they're trying to kind of get some degree of control. But anyway, the the problem initially is the money and the leverage debt. Then Ferguson goes, and now the problem of the Glazer ownership is structure. It's about the fact that they are not football people who are owning the club in order for the club to, with their kind of sole goal being the club is as good as it can possibly be. And they've got Woodward in the most important job, a banker. Like, just a man who's a commercial banker. That's his background. His background's not football. Now, obviously, you can learn a new industry if you have transferable skills and things like that. And he had worked in football for a good period of time by the time he got the top job. But it's been abundantly clear that his... um, He has increasingly become the absolute key problem at United because he's so involved with the transfer dealings. He's so involved with the transfer decision-making, the hiring, firing of managers and all this kind of stuff. So now the problem with the Glazer ownership is not the original problem, which is that they were stripping money out of the club to service debt that only existed because they bought the club. And genuinely, if you look at the data and the numbers there, a few seasons of that going in the wrong direction and that could have meant Leeds United. Um, Now the problem is there isn't any strategic leadership. Now, this is obviously not an original thought. Everyone, literally everyone that's commenting on United is saying the problems at United are endemic and structural. Um, And when Mourinho was the manager, I was very happy to say... Um, all that's true, all that's a given, but the manager's job is to do the best they possibly can under these circumstances. I haven't said that as much when one of my favourite players in history is running the club because I like him, but it's also true. It's mm. also becoming increasingly the knock against Solskjaer that he's doing the least he could be doing.
0: Can I anymore. also say with uh, picking up on the Mourinho example there that I remember distinctly a time, and I don't know when it was, but there was a time where it became apparent through uh, a few stories in the media that Mourinho couldn't have something that he wanted. I think it was a try, it might have been out the Alderweireld transfer or something like something along those lines, um, and it became apparent that he wasn't in charge in the way that most fans would expect him to be. Probably just as a legacy of how Sir Alex Ferguson ran the club. I remember thinking at that moment like that that's a that's a fairly there's a fairly important moment in 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 the recent history or the modern history of Manchester United that even Jose Mourinho, who for all his faults is a you know a huge global football manager is not allowed to make, is not allowed to get everything that he wants or the way that he thinks that this should be done isn't necessarily the way that it's being done. Um, I'm also going to pause here and say that we are supported by The Athletic. The reason I'm doing that at this point is because there was a fascinating article all about Ed Woodward, which was released uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm just trying to find it now. It is saved in my saved stories. Saved stories. It's called This is Ed Woodward. And uh, you, may, you might be able to see, might be able to see that, it there. That is Edward Ed Wood. That's Edward Ed Wood right there. There he is. Um, it's really interesting, and it was written by Laurie White, uh, Whitwell and uh, Adam Crafton, who was on the podcast a few a uh, few weeks ago. Um, it talks all about uh, Edward Wood's history, and uh, I mean, it tells you literally who he is. It's very interesting. We, I think, we've got a couple of videos on the channel about him too. Um, the thing I always like to remember with those stories is that he he was the man who. Um, It's always written up as pulled off, which I find very strange, but pulled off the leverage buyout for the Glazers when they took over United. That choice of language always strikes me as very uh, positive, you know, or like it's like it's something that's like, okay, he did something amazing. But this is the thing. But it's also you say pulled off a heist. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's
1: not that's not a positive, you know. And and he he did. Yeah, because it's an incredibly complex deal, that leveraged buyout. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that pulled it together and has earned himself incredible loyalty from the Glazer Mm -hmm. family because...
0: And four million million pounds
1: a year. But he's made them, the amount of money that he's made them personally because... The thing about United is they're a terrible investment opportunity because their growth potential isn't there to invest. And then you make a ton of money down the line. But they're an amazing salary generator if you yeah. just want to make like 50 million quid a year for your family.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? They What what, what are the, um, the dividends paid out of 20 million pounds a year at the moment, I think, to the Glazers, uh, which or might be more than that. That's also the number uh, for the interest repayments or or the interest payments on the loan repayments is £20 million a year as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that that almost is a bit of a red herring in some ways because it's a perfectly reasonable business strategy to... um, to run a company with a fairly high amount of debt. There's all kinds of accounting benefits. I don't not my field, sure. but it's a thing. It's so,
0: expected in e- most industries.
1: Exactly. that The level of debt is like, the fact that they're paying out 20 million in debt that they wouldn't have to if it wasn't for the Glazers is barely the problem. The, the problem is they're wasting, they've wasted almost every penny of transfer expenditure that they've indulged in since Ferguson left.
0: Can we all, well, I think the news was the, for the other... Might have even been as recently as a few weeks ago. I might be getting this wrong. I read this, um, uh, Akira Maguire tweet who writes some of uh, our finance videos for us. Um, that the interest payments alone, not, the, not taking into account the actual debt repayments, but the repayments of the interest on those debts is now, uh, in total over the figure of the cost of buying the club. So I think it passed 800 million a couple of weeks ago, and I believe that LBO United got, uh, United was bought for 770 million or something like that. I can't remember then. Um...
1: the number 693 just popped in my head but three, I, I have no right. idea well, that might have come from somewhere else altogether. Well anyway,
0: the yeah, the point being that I believe the club is still in about 400 million pounds worth of debt and as you say, you know, that's it's expected that big companies operate with debt. It's it's a it's a perfectly legitimate strategy, but the fact that the interest payments on that debt are now worth more in total than the club was worth when it was purchased. That's, you know, I hate to be the person who says well, that's 800 million pounds that could have been spent on the squad, but that's reasonable. I mean, as you mm-hmm. say, obviously, the commercialisation is pointed to as a revolutionary. Other clubs uh, have also done this. They've all caught up. They've all caught up and it would have happened anyway at some point. Uh, mm. I, think, I, th- I, th- I think it would have. I, mean, I, like, no, uh,
1: I think the kind of the key idea of market segmentation in the way that Woodward <laughs> brought it about was genuinely smart.
0: Sure, right. I'm not saying it wasn't smart, but yeah. it would have happened anyway. Somebody would have done that. I mean, it's that like, you, know, you see a hole in the market, someone fills it, and often you find yeah. two or three different people all around the world who don't know each other doing it at the same time. Like right? sheep
1: learning over learning to roll over cattle grates. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: So the um,
1: the <laughs> is that true?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. just take a little sheep, here. sheep
1: in two different parts of the world learned to roll over cattle grates at about the same time. Really, I believe, I believe so. This could be could be fake news, but I believe that to I be the case. I hope it's not fake. Nook. yeah that it's pretty a, cool right wow that is yeah. cool there's a name for it why are we not talking is? about that she's doing the farm animals <laughs> podcast, our other podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm doing that this, this later this afternoon um what was I saying? I'm just thinking about sheep now. Uh, Woodward market segmentation. It would have happened anyway. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe that. And as you rightly point out, the 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 major growth, uh, financially speaking, in football is the um, is from broadcasting income. Yeah. So the club would have been wealthy either way. And I'm not saying that without the Glazers this wouldn't be happening. I, you can't make any of these predictions. No. But they're bad. Uh, no doubt. And, and, and I feel like I I, I know. I, I want to point out, and we do very often point out on, on this podcast, that yes, as you say, running a company with debt is not necessarily a bad thing to do. But the Glazers are bad. They've done a bad thing that they shouldn't have been allowed to do, really. I, I, yeah, I, it, I mean, the, Maybe the, with other businesses, but as it, as it applies to a football club, it's just wrong. At,
1: at the very bottom line, there's no way football clubs should be run as straightforward businesses. Like they do not serve the purpose that businesses do that's not where they come from businesses are about generating income and profits and all of those kinds of things and you could even make an argument although i personally wouldn't choose to do so for some benign version of capitalism and that's not a bad thing in in and of itself but football clubs That's not what football clubs are about. Football clubs all emerged out of social clubs and uh, working people banding together to create entertainments and enjoyments and pastimes for the people of that community. That's what football clubs are meant to be for. You know, Newton Heath Railway Workers Club is what is now Manchester United PLC registered in the Cayman Islands. And that's an absolute tragedy. But the, the, the thing about the money side of it is that, that isn't even the problem. The interest payments aren't the problem. United have still got vast amounts of cash in the bank. I believe that their net debt, if you um, include the cash in the bank, is considerably lower than the debt numbers that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So what that means is they could pay that debt off today, if they wanted, but to. they don't have to because <laughs> the debt isn't a problem mm-hmm. for the operator. And not just not a problem for the Glazers in the sense that United finishing fifth in the league isn't a problem for the Glazers because they're personally going to still make a ton of money um it's not a problem for the club in terms of its potential to be the actual football powerhouse that it absolutely should be from a structural from you know its position in world football mm-hmm. united should be by munich barcelona real madrid There's, that's the level that united should be on without any shadow of a doubt and the reason they're not is because of the 2005 leverage buyout like mm-hmm. that that's why the post ferguson collapse has been spectacularly mismanaged, but now the problem isn't that Alex Ferguson retired six years ago, you know, that's, I mean, it's still casting a shadow because he was such a giant of the game, but six years ago, the problem isn't that Ferguson's retired, it's that since he retired, every decision they've made essentially has been wrong, up to and including giving my One of my personal sporting heroes, favourite footballers, apparently genuinely sound person, which is not that common in any industry, but in football, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the permanent manager's job, it would appear now already you can pretty safely say that's a mistake. There is a version of events where Solskjaer somehow pulls this together. Because I think there is a strategy that makes sense happening at United. It's just, I don't think that any of the individual participants in that strategy, the key figures in implementing it are going to be good enough to do it.
0: What is the strategy? So
1: I believe that, that the, um, there's a degree of ruthlessness in the transfer window that hasn't happened for a long time. Chris Smalling, um, has sailed by manager after manager after manager after manager. Solskjaer is the first one who's actually got rid of him. Alexis Sanchez, um, United are prepared to pay a substantial percentage of his salary for him to play somewhere else. That's pretty intensely ruthless. And Lukaku has, they made all their money back basically on the Lukaku transfer, which is kind of miraculous. Um, so there, there's a kind of like, okay, these are players who are not part of the story. Now, there's a few players still that you would, Rocco, Damian, Phil Jones, who you would say, belong in the category of like they should also be gone but we're getting there on that front and that's the first time we've even made any strides towards that since Ferguson left basically it's been dribs and drabs one at a time more or less since then um and for the first time in a very long time United's transfer success rate I mean we are two months into the season and United are terrible so this is a slightly ironic comment but actually Dan James there's a, there's a long way to go to see whether he makes it or not, but he started really well. wan I think, is as close to a sure thing as exists. Yeah. Um, and Harry Maguire has made some mistakes himself, by the way, but clearly is a massive cut above what United have had recently yeah. in central defence. That's three transfers, all of which you would say are decent to excellent.
0: And Solskjaer is is selecting those people? I have not? no idea. We don't know.
1: But one thing that I can't imagine is that Solskjaer is completely uninvolved in those conversations. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he absolutely must be part of that conversation. But whether he is or not, the strategy is clearly... Um, younger players more hunger these kind of somewhat cliched ideas but move away from these superstars and this kind of stuff now so
0: maybe maybe this is a point that doesn't need making but they're all young uh British players right who maybe have an understanding more of an understanding of what Manchester United means is that fair to say or no
1: possibly although what Manchester United means is well understood globally and and I actually think actually that's probably about weaknesses in United scouting and some burnt fingers of having trusted agents very much and and basically outsourced recruitment to agents, which they didn't do this summer. This is the first summer for a long time where you haven't seen like the Riola summer of of M- 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 Mourinho's Magic first season, Mourinho, yes. and the Mendes summer of the season before that. Basically, where every or the season before that, where everyone was a Mendes client. So he's busy at Wolves now. Yeah, yeah. But United have outsourced to agents essentially the their transfer strategy. They didn't do that this time. Mm. And Solskjaer is clearly trying to get rid of the players who aren't up to it. But that's there's too much work to do and there's too much incompetence because it was clear to anyone looking at that squad, ah, that midfield's a bit thin. What happens if something happens to Paul Pogba? Oh, something happened to Paul Pogba. And now we have created like half a chance in six games or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so... so whilst I think there's a plan which is to refresh the squad to imbue a kind of culture and a style of playing but the problem is it's not immediately clear what that style is I mean there's a kind of general idea that you that United have got a squad that's very well suited to soaking up pressure and hitting on the break now but the problem with that is there's hard there's about three teams in the country who are going to do that to United you know (laughs) and and everyone else is just going to go well you seem to have lots of fast yeah. players and uh, and one
0: midfielder who can find them and central defenders who are good on the ball so it's, think a, bit, wh- it's a bit of a norwich problem i mean not to bring it back to norwich <laughs> yeah, but yeah. i mean they played exceptionally well against liverpool manchester city obviously bigger teams yeah they faced their you know local relegation candidates and uh, they're getting hammered yeah and and uh you know
1: the the thing that united can't do which is the question i asked van hal why can't you break down deep lying teams? And this, I think in the recent games has been very personnel driven. It's very much like the Ashley young problem. Do you know what O ring theory is? So O ring theory, um, is a theory developed out of a, uh, a, an accident in space, a NASA space shuttle. I, I believe it might've been the challenger when the challenger blew up. Um, All the work was done to find out what had gone wrong. And it turned out that the thing that had failed was a rubber sealant, an O-ring that had um, not been tested in sufficiently extreme conditions. And that tiny thing undid the whole adventure. So essentially the O-ring theory is the theory that any organism or collective is only as good as the weakest of its parts. And football... There is a solid argument to say that football is very much an o-ring game. Mm. So the the weakest point in the squad will almost be more of a determinant of how successful you are than how strong the strongest point. The how weak the weakest point is will be more of a determinant of how successful you are than how strong the strongest point is. It's like um, Moneyball, obviously Alex did that brilliant thing a few years ago playing Football Manager based on um uh, the Moneyball principles and um the money ball principle that you don't spend money upgrading your strong areas. You spend Mm. money upgrading the weakest areas. Mm. United's O-ring in living form, Ashley Young is so responsible for play breaking down. This isn't a scapegoat. Ashley Young, actually another person that seems like quite a decent fellow, definitely someone who's worked his socks off for United and was often, I think maligned somewhat unfairly, but clearly, not a very high quality fullback by any stretch of the imagination. Not a fullback. No, we're well, not a fullback a at start. all, but, but his, ironically, the big problem with his fullback play is his attacking distribution. The ball you'll get, you know, uh, when you get that feeling in a football match where something's about to happen and like the ball's now in space with the player on the right flank. And then you look and it's Antonio Valencia or Ashley Young and you're like, Oh, well, okay, well not much is going to happen here. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of times when play breaks down in the box or play breaks down and they try something intricate and it doesn't work because there aren't enough well executed patterns of play. When did United last score the Man City double tap FIFA cross goal, you know, break in behind the lines, cut it back to the six yard box and someone's there to score because you've pulled the players out of position with very careful planning and, you know, coordinated movement and all these things. United just don't do that. So... There's, there are structural problems but also I do think that United's biggest personnel problems are the kind of the fact that there are too many players still in the team who even when things are going quite well some individual error will occur and there'll be a breakdown in everything O-ring theory
0: so what do you do then I mean let me, I'm just going to fire some questions at you okay you, I, I, I Just before no, before on. that,
1: my answer to the question, what do you do, is I don't know. <laughs> I really wanted Solskjaer to get the job permanently because yeah, I love him and yeah. I thought it
0: might work, sure. so clearly I don't know. Okay, but now, yeah. with some fresh hindsight, a yeah. little bit of retrospect, sure. I believe they call it, um, do you keep Solskjaer at this point in time?
1: Now, like th- mm. today, mm-hmm. do we like sack him during this international break and try and... Reset. Yeah, I keep him definitely. What if,
0: uh, okay, question number two. What if Pochettino leaves Spurs in this international break, which he might do?
1: Then you like give Perez a quick ring and say, When are you planning to fire Zidane? Just might see if you've got time or not. If you haven't got time, then maybe you need to execute. But does Pochettino, I think it's almost more likely that Pochettino would come to United on a high from Spurs. But does Pochettino really, having, with things starting to burn out and Catch fire, and he's like that, you know, that dog in the meme that's like, This is all fine when everything's on fire. Does he want to leave Spurs with everything having collapsed without having won anything and try and rescue this steaming mess that's United? Maybe
0: because I think if you asked Pochettino why it didn't work at Spurs in the most recent season, Mm -hmm. his reason would be different to the one that Daniel Levy and the players would give you, you know. So, I think. If he felt that he had the financial support and less restriction available, then perhaps that would be... Uh, Why would
1: you come to Man United if you want <laughs> financial support and less restriction available? Because they have
0: significantly more money and they don't have the same kind of limiting wage caps that um, that Tottenham have.
1: But they don't spend it. They they spent 75 million net this summer. Mm-hmm. That's nothing for a club of United's standing and, and alleged ambition in the current climate 75 million sure. you look at the squad at the end of last season and go yeah that only needs you know 325 million players or, you know whatever it is I mean they obviously they spent more than that but they returned a load of that money from Lukaku's transfer
0: did you hear was his name Paul Merson is it yeah Paul Merson did you hear I think if it's not Paul Merson I'm sorry it's one of those men you know, the ones that sit on the thing in the on like, the like us, but older and on telly. Yes, those ones, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and far less informed. Uh, no, that's just a little jazz. I'm sorry, I do, Paul. I disagree, Mercer. I, I did, you know. But Paul Mercer said that he thinks uh, Manchester United need to spend 700 million pounds to uh, get anywhere near winning the league. He, he says, stuff. That's my third question. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Um, Don't answer it. Question number four.
1: I, I, I'm not sure it's definitively wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, maybe it's not 700 million, but sure. United were 40 to 1 to win the league at the beginning of this season. Yeah, 40 to 1. Manchester De- United. Decent odds, you say, wouldn't you? Like, I mean, the re- completely reasonable odds. Because bookmakers are, are not in the business of offering excessive odds. The distance between United and City and Liverpool is gargantuan at the moment it's certainly not Sac Mourinho um, Sac Solskjaer bring in Pochettino that's clearly not okay but like let's
0: just okay let's let's just go with the hypothetical that, that, that Solskjaer stays okay and he's given time to try and solve it yeah and he's given a January and maybe up to next I mean the th- he's not going to get to next summer if things don't improve but no. he, he might get to January you say I I who knows? Who knows? I mean, they, this they is a hypothetical.
1: They've rarely sacked managers that quickly. I mean, they did. This, they waited till David Moyes hadn't qualified for the Champions League. Van Gaal sure. got all the way to the end of that. You know, walking up the steps at Wembley to collect the yeah. FA Cup final before he got sacked. Mourinho, Mourinho, they acted a lot quicker than I thought they would.
0: Mm. You know. Well, it was pretty toxic, seemingly. I mean, it it
1: was. And and really, you know, you you briefly touched upon Woodward making decisions over Mourinho's head about transfers. I think at that point, they should just have sacked Mourinho because you can't do both of those things. And as much as I actually don't entirely disagree with some of the assessments that Woodward came to, you can't back Woodward over Mourinho, multiple-time Champions League winner, multiple-time league winner, one of the best managers ever. I mean, however toxic it had got. And however toxic it always gets for him clearly not someone who someone a commercial banker with a history in leverage buyouts should be making the football decisions over the top of him so anyway
0: Mm. okay so uh who's a deadwood who's got a go you said ashley young already
1: um, yeah, and that's like uh, you know when Alan Sugar in that in the Apprentice he sometimes says with regret you're fired. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I'm with sorry, with, with regret Ashley Young sure. is is Deadwood now and has to go. Okay. Um, but that's not like a hater hater thing as as has happened to Ashley Young a lot. I'm going to make uh, you do
0: that thing. We don't the things we don't really do this on the TFL podcast okay. that much. But with Man United, it's so fascinating because okay. you feel you feel like they still have the pull to be able to attract most players to the club. Not all players, but most players. And so the idea of playing some sort of fantasy game with uh, who you would bring in to replace some of these players. I mean, like, how many people do you need?
1: Well, I, I think that let's say that... Um, you don't need any more defenders because between the ones you've already got and the ones coming up, like Twanzebe and um, Brandon Williams at left back, Ethan Laird, who's a bit further down the pecking order. But, you know, you've probably, let's say you don't need any defenders. You need minimum one, probably two. And then if Pogba goes next season, like five central midfielders, yeah. I'm exaggerating, but sure. you need, you, you, Matic has got to go. Mm-hmm. McTominay is exceeding everyone's expectations, but you know, like, God bless him. And we don't know yet where that's going. It could go in a very positive Darren Fletcher-like growth-on-growth-on-growth on growth on growth direction. And mm-hmm. and he's certainly way ahead of where I thought he would be by this point. So, you know, maybe there's a future there. But you need two more if Pogba stays. Because um, Fred's got to go, obviously. And so Fred and Match have both got to go. So now you've literally just got McTominay and Pogba. Matter. Uh, Matt, has got, go. Matt has got field. to go Matt has got to go he's yeah, yeah. he's Nemanja Marta, um, not Nemanja Marta, Juan Mata now there's a like with regret in capital letters like sure. with with deepest apologies from the bottom of my heart yeah. sorry Juan sorry, I love for, you sorry for wasting your time yeah exactly would you like to go on a tour of art galleries with me yeah but I'm just gonna to have to break it to you gently that you can't play at Man United anymore. Yeah. Um but like listen, you can do amazing stuff with the rest of your life. Common goal, brilliant anyway. Um so Huamata Mata with deepest, deepest regret <laughs> has to go. Um I don't can't think off the top of my head, I've probably forgotten some Marcus Rocco, Phil Jones. Yeah. Um
0: they've they've got to go. Um You so probably so- do need some more defenders then.
1: Uh, Yeah, let's, well, not necessarily because there's a couple kicking about, a couple of the kids. You hope for the best. What I mean is that's not like definitive, like you definitely need them, but you definitely need a midfielder and you need someone who can play on the right wing. Because um, I mean the the Andreas Pereira Jesse Lingard one meta you, you, thing yeah. you need a number ten even because maybe if you had a midfield another midfielder you could play you wouldn't have to play Pogba as an eight you could play Pogba further forward which could definitely work um, but and, but you still need you still need someone to play right wing because Jesse Lingard is in either in spectacularly terrible form for a really long period of time or isn't at the level both of which are very popular. Possible and the longer form is bad, the more you start to think, Oh no, it's just you were an incredible purple patch for a bit of time. And Andres Pereira, very technically talented, and maybe there's still a long term United player there. But the evidence of this season, and also to be honest, the evidence of some of his time on loan uh, in Spain, would suggest that it's going to be a stretch for him to be. Elite level, Champions League winning number ten or right mm. winger, you know. So well, he's,
0: he's at the right club, then, isn't he?
1: Well, this this is thing, but you're talking about a kind of fantasy pitch. yeah, I mean, I uh, Just want to go back to I acknowledge <laughs> with
0: my whole heart that United are rubbish. It's a lot less fun if you, <laughs> <laughs> you do that. right? Okay, so we also know, for example, continuing this hypothetical, that the on, I mean, that's half the team, but the on pitch stuff isn't uh, isn't the only issue. Mm. How do you go about? Um, Dealing with those endemic problems that you talk about at, at, at club level.
1: Well, I wonder if Woodward's actually going to get himself sacked. I wonder how deep the Glazer loyalty runs. Because as we've talked about and just briefly touched on, but but check out, was it Kieran McKenna you said? No, the writer, the Kieran McKenna is United's assistant manager. Adam Adam Crofton was one of them. <laughs> no, not that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the T Oh, Kieran Maguire. Yeah, Kieran Maguire, sorry. sorry. Yeah. i got two United things stuck together. Sure. Kieran Maguire's... Video, the video that he scripted about how United's finances have stalled. Mm. Well, if United's finances continue to stall, where's the argument for keeping Ed Woodward?
0: I was going to sneeze, but it, <laughs> went, but it went away. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. That's the worst thing in the world. Right, now, where's the argument the for light, keeping Ed Woodward? It, if you look at That's light, what I tried to do. Okay. Yeah. It didn't work. My headmaster at primary school taught me that. Yeah, I've been told that too. It works most of the time. Yeah, it does. It I'm does. sorry about your sneeze, Joe. I think it's just a psychological thing, isn't it? It's yeah. not actually looking at the light, is it? It's not something about light that makes you sneeze. I think just imagine it's if you're told, for example, my friend Craig did this. Craig, who actually makes TIFO videos, Craig Silcock, oh, yeah. uh, he, uh, he did this incredible thing to me. He's quite a frightening man. Uh, he's, uh, he's sort of 41 years old. He's bald. He's got a big beard and he wears a big jacket. And, you know, he's, he's a frightening guy. Yes. Um, and he's creepy. And he's... <laughs> I love you, Craig. But he, uh, I had really bad hiccups at the pub one night. And uh, he said, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to try something. Okay. okay. Just wait. Don't, don't move. Okay. Don't. And he did this, he did this thing. He really, really put me at like at ill ease. Yeah. 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 And then he sort of crept around behind me. Yeah. Threatening me the whole time <laughs> with a non-verbal threat, you know, uh-huh. as if he was going to hit me in the head or something. Yeah. And um, then he just came back around and I'd stopped hiccuping. Yeah. 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 And it really,
1: it really worked. Body had tensed and, mm. you know, yeah. all because... Hiccuping's a muscle going crazy, right? Right. We should... Yeah. I mean, I'm not in maybe any way. Maybe that's an start analogy start you about, can you know. draw. Okay. Maybe,
0: maybe if you were to find... A, who's a very frightening football manager, you know. Jose Mourinho, get, that did you know, not work. No. Um, you could just show them a lot of videos of Brian Clough or, and see maybe if they would, uh, you know...
1: Then they'd be like, but he's gone. He can't get yeah. us anymore. And it's then true. it'd be like, the ghost of him can get him. It's, it's a
0: real question, though. One of the things that I heard um, uh, today was... today, Yesterday was that... Uh, Julian Nagelsmann is potentially a candidate for the next. Right. Um, I mean, he's only just started at RB Leipzig, so I doubt that will be halfway through the season. But if Solskjaer manages to um, maintain for a while, then and, and then goes, perhaps that's the sort of thing. I mean, would you would you be up for for another kind of younger, semi unproven player uh,
1: manager? Yes, who someone who. Uh, you know, someone who had had Fergie at Aberdeen type level, maybe not that level of success, but that level of kind of promise and yeah. up and comingness. I think that's kind of the profile that would fit United because you want someone who's got the kind of energy for the project as a whole. Yeah. Um, Pochettino, if he's in like fully firing, would be kind of perfect on that on that basis. But we'll see how he how he copes personally with what I think is probably going to be quite. It must be heavy. It must be a heavy load to carry. What's happening? Mm. Given how amazingly he's done at Spurs, and um, but the to to go back to the thing, I wonder if Woodward will get sacked. So oh, sorry, because, yes. No, no it's the sneeze. I derailed you. Well, um, yeah. but only it wasn't you. you were derailed, and in <laughs> derailing yourself, sure. I was derailed. Um the the whole. Thing is, Woodward isn't going to bring in a director of football. They'd already have done it if that was going to happen. They'll brief that they're going to bring in a director of football, and then Woodward will be like, "Actually, I quite like pretending I'm playing Championship Manager in real life." You do, you, know. do you think so? Yeah, I, I think they would have done it. Why would Why would they? Why would they not have done it by now? If there wasn't, well, they got,
0: I mean, the thing is, what, what it seemed to me at the time, I remember reading a lot about it, uh, the names of people that they were speaking to well, most—I mean, there was the guy from Norwich, but then no, there were but, mostly ex-players. But right? if you
1: if you go through the list, every reputable you Google Manchester United and the name of every reputable director of football, mm. pretty much in the world, you'll find an article somewhere linking the two. Sure. Because it's not—they weren't just linked with you know Van der Sar and Rio Ferdinand. I mean, Van der Sar was obviously doing a great job as a football yeah. administrator, so that's a slightly different candidate. But it wasn't just ex-United players, although obviously it wasn't just Rio Ferdinand. No, exactly. Yeah. During the Solskjaer nostalgia boom of the late 2018, yeah. no, early 2019, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah. But, but United, you know, there's been talk of director of football easily into Moyes and Van Hal times. But if you're Ed Woodward, do you really want to like outsource power in an agency like United? I mean, a, an uh, an institution like United. I don't know. Where I mean, it's all it's, Game of Thrones. It's to
0: be honest, it surprises me to hear you say that. Okay. Well, Normally, I think you see the best in people. Uh I I think I can but I don't I don't know there's no there's no best well, to be well, no, seen because in, it seems sounds to me like an assumption based on uh, his character that he wouldn't want to do that he was just saying that six, anyone in that situation
1: ever, he's been he's been he's been CEO of Man United for six years yeah but how
0: long have the conversations about being football, having employing a football director been, been been really serious right at the beginning right at the beginning because because uh, really?
1: of course you've got to do replace Alex Ferguson with something you can't just replace Alex Ferguson with David Moyes yeah. and hope everything works out which is what they actually did
0: because David Gill left at the same time
1: yeah absolutely but but even even if david gill had stayed david gill is has good contacts and good at deal making and that's that's gone and that has had a big knock-on effect and you know it'd have paid probably more than they needed to for players and uh, and under collected on money that they've sold you know when they've sold so that bit is about the kind of technique of buying players not the identification of players and and the idea that Ed Woodward should have any power over that. Woodward is, it's Turkey's voting for Christmas, a director of football at United. And you say the serious conversations, there's never been serious conversations. There's only been briefings after transfer windows have gone wrong. Mm. You look at the timeline, it's like the, the Woodward briefing timeline, um, at the end of the summer transfer window, we'll be doing more business in January. Maybe this January we'll do more business or maybe come December time, we'll start to get the little well. Of course, the January transfer window is very difficult to make major moves in, which we've had more or less every January. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, that's the way this club does business. I love
0: it. You're a skeptic. I love it.
1: But but this is, this is the, the idea that like, you can only either see the best in people in a sort of, doe-eyed, optimist way or like be a arch-dyed-in-the-wall cynic that there is a substantial middle ground well, where know, really all of us don't should live. I know what you're talking
0: about. I think we should move on. I refuse to have you come on here and uh, try and paint things in with colour. <laughs> How dare you? No, it's interesting. No, I mean, as I said, I was curious to know what, what, what your uh, reasoning for thinking that is because I had not considered that before. It's six years of evidence. I thought it was just like incompetence. What but that they no, haven't they, got a director of yeah. football in?
1: It's not that hard to yeah. get a dir- to go. Oh, here, yeah, would you like a ton of money to come and play at Man United? Uh, yeah. Why? Why wouldn't? Does, why? What? What obstacle is there? There's no obstacle to appointing a director of football except oh, what if we get the wrong one? Well, you've appointed Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho. you know, <laughs> sorry, sorry, <early. laughs> But you know, that's the the kind of the gist of it yeah. and they've made lots of terrible recruitment decisions look at the recruitment of players oh we've got to be really careful to get the right director of football because otherwise we might buy a load of terrible players mm. that don't suit the needs of the club oh
0: yeah it's interesting it's interesting when you put it that way I had never considered that they uh, that Woodward would not want that mm. I would have thought you know make his job easier but I think the bit of his job he likes this is just
1: a guess mm. I
0: it's. Do you think he likes, because I mean, he, he's in the media a lot, right? And, and Daniel Levy is another example of someone who appears because of various, you know, characteristics, mostly positive when it comes to Daniel Levy. Um, and I'm trying to think of other examples. I was listening to a podcast about UK politics this morning, about Dominic Cummings, in a similar, similar sort of role uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a Prime Minister's aide, who historically or traditionally, or even in modern times in most countries, isn't a visible character when it comes to the public is someone behind the scenes who is the, whose job it is to advise the prime minister who is the visible role whereas in the current god i'm talking about politics a lot now in the is, is, there is an I was analogy thinking about alistair campbell sitting in this chair <laughs> it was the last time there was a prime minister's aide who was very public <laughs> yes exactly exactly right uh, in a slightly different in a slightly different way uh dominic cummings uh who, who's currently occupying that role or one of them appears to kind of uh Enjoy it, or flaw, or, or at least maybe maybe enjoy it is the wrong way of saying it, but, it, but there appears to be a reason for it, i.e., it gives people. I mean, the, the thinking on the. I'm trying to remember which podcast this was. I think it was a Financial Times. If you're interested, you can go and listen to it there. But essentially, what they were saying was that it gave uh, the current Tory leadership the opportunity to speak to two different groups of people, essentially through two different leaders whilst one of them isn't really a real leader, and to the other people he can say, oh, just appearing in the press by accident, but I'm here on purpose. Ed Woodward, similarly, is in the news a lot and doesn't see, I mean, maybe this is unfair, but doesn't seem to take many of the precautions that might uh, preclude some of those articles from being released. Seems to, and again, maybe enjoying is the wrong word, maybe there is an agenda for it being there, and perhaps that's that he takes all the heat and that the Glazers don't take any of it. I mean, is that, does that not earn you loyalty? You mentioned before the idea that how much does he have left in the bank with them. But if most of the ire is directed at him and the Glazers who rarely, you know, rarely appear, in, to be honest, in the news as it, beyond the term Glazers, which essentially means nothing now because how many supporters actually know their first names or who's even left alive and who's not? Maybe, that, maybe that's what buys him the loyalty.
1: Yeah, maybe. If I had to guess, it's that he loves it. That that would be my guess about yeah, Woodward. Yeah. That's that is pure speculation. The director of football thing, not so much. That I think is evidence based to at least to some extent. Mm. This is just a, a read on someone's personality from a distance, and I've never met him. I nearly accidentally bumped into him once on the way back from the loo to the press box at Everton, where you bump into the fancy people. Right. But that's the extent of my personal interactions with Edward Woodward. Um, but I do know people who have spoken with Edward Woodward, and. Um, my read on him from a distance would be that he very much enjoys being the uh, CEO of Manchester United and the public face of all of that. And it's a lot more fun than being a commercial banker. And the kind of, I think he quite likes all the, I think he likes the power. I think it's a seductive role. I think there's not that many people that wouldn't get a bit kind of pulled in by the glamour of it all. Um, And I think that's probably got a pretty short shelf life. I think that shelf life must be running
0: out. Is there anything that we've missed? I mean, this episode is called What's Going On at Manchester United. Uh, Is there anything you can think that I haven't asked you or that we haven't talked about that is important to cover? Who fans might be interested in hearing?
1: uh, I don't know. I I would say that this is maybe a little bit doe-eyed optimist because it's not like United were great when their team was at full strength this season. But I do think, well, first of all, I think there are some big questions to be asked about why there are so many muscle injuries and why Rashford is playing injured, like played injured all the way through the back half of last season. And it's clearly not been, um, you know, he, he, he pulled up, uh, with a hamstring-y type vibe in in one game and then started the next game because of the general injury crisis. He's clearly someone who will give blood for the shirt, as it were, although people have turned on him, which is very sad. Um, I'm not saying he's performing at the level he should, but he's played injured for huge swathes of this. Anyway, um, the uh, I do think the current injury crisis or injury picture is playing a bit more into results than people are kind of giving credit. There is this sort of complete gloom and like, Oh my God, United are totally ruined. And I think United are mostly ruined, but I think there is, I think uh, you take Pogba and Martial out of a team and then go this team and neither creating nor finishing chances. And, well, that's the best create chance creator and the best finisher at the club. So in-
0: Injuries were also expected as well, weren't they? Because of the type of uh, energetic performances that Solskjaer was... I mean, he, he even said this in some of his post-match press conferences but when was, he first arrived.
1: Th- yeah, and but this now, this is a problem because yeah. that's the kind of Raymond <laughs> Verhaen thing. I remember um, United, like a bunch of players dropping... And I remember I literally, cause I'm not on Twitter anymore. So I, I looked at Raymond behind Twitter um, just cause I was like, Oh, It's incoming, and he hadn't done it yet. But the next morning, there's like five and behind pieces everywhere. Going well, you see, he can't come in halfway through the season and make everyone run around loads because then everyone falls over, which is not wrong, by the way. Um, But Sasha, I talked a big game about how with the preseason, etc. And and you wonder whether there's um, a bit of lack of um, lack of the most advanced techniques for building fitness and preloading. I don't. I'm not an expert in that stuff, but you know, it's a thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Paul thanks so much
1: man really... you welcome it's been a delight Joe it's been a long one long time coming as well yeah I'll okay, tell you there's no, one 20. thing C- can I plug something yeah of course um, so uh, uh, I don't mean my podcast United Roundcast I was going to plug that for you yeah, at thank the end. you appreciate that yeah so that was a bonus plug thank you um, but the thing that I'd like to plug is a film that I made for TIFO a few years ago um, which you're in um, and it's a film called The Grip of His Hand uh, it's a short film about fathers and sons and football and and um, uh, it's my favourite thing I've ever been involved in, creatively, probably ever. It's definitely my favourite football thing I've ever done. So um, if you if you look through the Tifo archives for a film called A Grip of His Hand, uh, The Grip of His Hand. Um,
0: and I'm in it, so it's really good. Yeah,
1: that yeah. Uh, your bit in it is genuinely really good, Joe. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, there you go.
0: How depressing, though. Depressing, wasn't it?
1: Depressing. You're, you, it was sad rather than depressing, I would say. The film as a whole, it should be said, is absolutely not depressing. No, it's really good. <laughs> it
0: is really good, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, do I need to do anything, say anything? No, that's it. United rank Cast, you listen. Thanks so much, Paul. You're welcome. Uh, T, ah. T-, T- I's
1: really good. I really like your podcast, I really like Seb, I really like Alex, I really like you. Thanks, man. Yeah.
0: You're welcome. Oh, I, for once, I know what's coming out next week, because I've already recorded it. And it is uh, Nikos Overhaul from Statsbomb. Very interesting real interesting stuff. That's a good trailer. Uh, See you then.